It's Wednesday, January 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today is our man in Colorado, Tim Byers. Good to see you. Good to see you too, Chris. How's it going? It's going pretty well. We've got some tech equipment news. We've got consumer goods in the news, but we are going to start with the stock of the day, and that is Netflix. Fourth quarter revenue came in a little higher than expected. Profits were on the light side, but Netflix added 8.5 million global subscribers. That's about 2 million more than Wall Street was expecting, and shares up 14% today. It's, it's pretty impressive here. I think what we can say now officially is that in the streaming wars, Netflix is Coke, Disney Plus is Pepsi, everybody else can take a seat. Or maybe, I don't know who the RC Cola here is, uh, Chris, but clearly Netflix is the Coke. I mean, just take a look at those eight and a half million subscribers. The thing that really stands out to me here, Chris, is that 83% of those uh, subscribers are from overseas. And this is something that really shouldn't surprise us, but I think does surprise the street because we think that. Uh, Netflix is a U.S. company, and they are. I mean, they do get a lot of their revenue and profit from the U.S., but they are increasingly seeding programming around the world in foreign languages with local producers, local talent. But here's the other thing that's really interesting. I haven't watched this yet, Chris, but I, I have a conspiracy theory about this, that part of the big jump here is the Queen's Gambit. And I've not seen it. I've not seen the Queen's Gambit. I have cheated and watched a lot of clips on YouTube. But apparently, this thing was massive in Russia because Russians like chess. And it was apparently a, a pretty big hit there. But I, I do think there's a lot of programming that hits here and then it starts hitting in other territories. And the Queen's Gambit just kind of continues the trend. It is interesting because what you just described is a scenario that we've seen play out previously with Netflix. We've certainly seen this play out with Disney Plus. Yeah. And that is the idea that a big hit show that gets a lot of buzz is the kind of thing that can drive new subscribers. You know, it wasn't in the early days of Netflix, it wasn't an amazing advertising campaign. Right. that Netflix spent money on that got a lot of signups. It was creating original programming that got a lot of attention. And in the early days, that was things like Orange is the New Black, House of Cards, that sort of thing. So um, maybe not a huge surprise that the Queen's Gamut is the latest version of that. Yeah. And you know they were working on this pre-pandemic, obviously. And you know we keep wondering when it will be the time when Netflix spends big on something they expect to be a viral hit, and then it flops, and then Netflix is in trouble. I think that discounts the value of the business model, which is Ted Sarando saying, I'm going to make a thousand bets. I'm not going to make one big bet. I'm going to make a thousand bets, and one of them is going to hit. And I think that just keeps proving out over and over again. And this is why Netflix has now passed the 200 million subscriber uh, threshold worldwide. That may be what's driving the the uh, gains here today as well. But Netflix, uh, you know, you underestimate this business to your peril. I want to get to their guidance in just a second, but let me ask you about this because this this is something I've been thinking about over the past week or so as 
The calendar flips to 2021 and we see more headlines of studios, particularly movie studios, yeah. pushing back launch dates, release dates, that sort of thing, because they have to keep, in part because they have to push back production schedules. If you go back to last spring, one of the big questions that Netflix in particular, others as well, Amazon Prime, sure. you know, uh, Disney Plus, et cetera, they got this question too, but Netflix got it in a big way, which was essentially, whoa, 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 if everything shuts down, what does that do for your content? And Netflix and all the others said appropriately, because it was the truth, don't worry, we got plenty of stuff in the pipeline. We got stuff that is in the final stages of production. We're good. Well, that was 10 months ago. Right, right, and right. I'm, I'm curious, at what point should you and I feel any meaningful level of concern that this pandemic goes on and keeps productions shut down to the point where Netflix and others have to come out and say, you know what, from a programming standpoint, the cupboard is going to be a little bare in terms of yep. new programming simply because productions have been shut down. Yeah, I, it's it's definitely something to look for, and we should be looking at uh, you know Netflix's own promotion schedule. You know, as they come out and they talk about new shows or they talk about new seasons, um, we we should pay attention to that. However. And this is a big however, we have something here at The Motley Fool that we call Motley Fool Live. I think we've noticed that a lot of programming now is sort of adjusting to this idea that, hey, we can make programming everywhere and anywhere. Now, to be fair, a lot of that's appearing on YouTube, but let's not discount the creativity of Netflix and others to make programming uh, that can incorporate actors, uh, you know, others working from their homes. I mean, hey, I just watched and I, you know, uh, not last night, but the night before, I just watched a found footage hit from a few years ago called Cloverfield, which by the way, amazing movie, but found footage is a, uh, that's a genre in, in filmmaking. So I, I don't think we can discount the creativity here uh, either, Chris. Last thing on Netflix, uh, in terms of their guidance, they yep. said starting next year, we're going to be cash flow positive. And one of the things that's on the table for them in terms of capital allocation is stock buybacks, which yep. is something they haven't done in a decade. 2011 was the last time Netflix was buying back stock. As a Netflix shareholder, are you excited about that? Or do you look at stock buybacks and think to yourself, I, I really hope we the company figures out a different way to spend money? Yeah, I would like them to figure out a different way to spend money here um, because Netflix is richly valued. We know that. And then in addition, you know, the other guidance they gave is cash flow neutral 2021, not raising new capital from here on out. That is outstanding news. So if you don't need to raise new capital, right, and you're going to be cash flow neutral and then ultimately cash flow positive, don't go spending that too soon. I mean, look, you can go into the candy store. It doesn't mean you have to buy something. 
uh, let's let's just hold off a little bit, make that balance sheet a little bit stronger. Because here's the thing: in these times, that like let's take your your last point, Chris. So you have some studios that can't make maybe some some certain projects. That's going to open up some projects for Netflix to bid on. And you're better off if you can bid on those projects when your balance sheet is fat. So don't don't go spending too soon here, Reed. We 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 need you to fatten that balance sheet. Second quarter revenue for Procter and Gamble rose eight percent. The consumer goods giant also raised their outlook due to higher demand for their cleaning products, both home and personal grooming. But in terms of the stock, shares of Procter and Gamble are basically flat. And I was a little surprised by that because this is not a stock that has taken off over the past year. It's basically flat for the past year as well. Yeah, this is, you know, isn't this interesting that when you look at these earnings and the blowout was was meaningful. Like I'm looking at the adjusted earnings target that Wall Street was looking for and it was a buck 51 a share and Procter and Gamble came in at a buck 64. That is meaningful. This is a COVID stock. Right? I mean, we've been at home. We need more cleaning products. We're cooking at home. I mean, this is ta- COVID is tailor made for uh, Procter and Gamble. I, I hate that that's true because we all wish that COVID was gone. But it's funny to me that Procter and Gamble is not getting the tailwind here because the results speak to just how necessary the Procter and Gamble product family is for those of us stuck at home with with COVID. So what's it going to take in, in order to drive the shares up here? I don't know. So let's take your last point here, Chris. Maybe this is one where Procter & Gamble does have to get aggressive with buybacks because if it's not going to move, where else do you put that capital? Yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing, in part because we've seen over the past four to six months, some of these consumer products giants exercise some pricing power. Right. So, you know, I, I look at P&G, on the face of it, this is a, a good quarter, but they're also pulling the levers you would want them to pull to move the yes. stock higher. So, to your point, if what they've done so far isn't really moving the stock, then, you know, for a company like this, for a stock like this, then a buyback plan makes sense. It might make some sense. It might make some sense to maybe uh, hike the dividend a little bit here, put some more into R&D, and maybe look at, I mean, I'm not uh, Ron Gross here, but I'll put my Ron Gross hat on here for a second here and and maybe look at a a tuck-in acquisition or two, because there are some consumer brands that have really been hurt badly during the COVID crisis here. And this is an opportunity maybe to broaden the portfolio a little bit. Shares of Alibaba are up more than four, uh, 5% because company founder Jack Ma has made his first public appearance in three months. I, I should point out, this is not an appearance that he made out in public. This was right. uh, a, a video yeah. that he filmed tied to um, an event. Uh, but look, I think if you're an Alibaba shareholder yeah. over the last few months wondering legitimately, where's this guy been? Yeah, I, I, this, you know, if, if it were moving up dramatically more than that, I would think it was a little overblown. A 5% tick up seems right to me. It does seem right to me too. And I, I, I mean, can't we say, not to be too draconian about this, but aren't we just glad that it's not a hostage video? I mean, <laughs> yes. On, honestly, for a number of reasons, we're glad. For a number of reasons, because we were starting to worry 
that Jack Ma, you know, was like something horrible had happened here. So he surfaced. It's, it's, I mean, it really is just kind of a charity event. He's thanking teachers. It's nice. It's just, it's, it's very kind of, it, it's just a normal thing. And it would be, it wouldn't even be news if it weren't for the fact that he'd been missing for three months. And let's be clear, you know, Alibaba, this does not mean that the scrutiny of Alibaba goes away, but he's the founder. Uh, the Chinese government did not like what he had to say a few months ago, right before he went underground. Um, the Chinese government has since said that they are going to pursue possibly some more strict regulatory oversight of Alibaba, and that could include uh, breaking up different parts of, of the company. At the very least, they are taking some, some more strident action against Ant Financial, which is the payments part of, of Alibaba. So, you know, the, the regulatory scrutiny doesn't go away, but boy, yeah, I sigh of relief to see Jack Ma is, is not completely out of the picture here. We're going to stick at least tangentially uh, with China on our final story, which is ASML Holdings. Um, yep. This is a company in the business of making chips, uh, semiconductor chips, not the delicious kind. Fourth yes. quarter profits and revenue for ASML came in higher than expected. Uh, but uh, to go back to guidance for a second, the company came out and was very clear that how they do in 2021 uh, has to do with the state of relations between the U.S. and China. Right. There are so there's so much chip manufacturing that happens throughout Southeast Asia, and so the the ultraviolet uh, lithography equipment that ASML produces. So this is a this is a European based company. Their equipment is highly sought after for the most for manufacturing the most advanced types of chips. Um, so their equipment is is heavily in demand, and the results show it. I mean, they absolutely blew the doors off off of results. And I sent. I think what they're signaling here, Chris, is like, hey, look, if you guys learn to cooperate, we can keep this up. If you can't learn to cooperate, um, please be aware that you know your mileage may vary if you hold our stock. And first of all, I applaud them for being that transparent about it. And, and second of all, it's just a reminder that even though chip demand is very high, it's going to stay high for a really long period of time. If we don't have a thawing of relations between the US and China, it's just gonna get harder to uh, watch the semiconductor market grow at the pace it's been growing. It'll, it'll be harder to keep that pace up. I always like it when companies are direct with guidance. Uh, you know, I've said before, if I were running a publicly traded company, I think I would be tempted to pull a Berkshire Hathaway and just say, right. nope, here's the earnings report. We're not doing any guidance of, of any kind. Right. And yet when companies are this transparent, I always applaud it. I do too. And I, what I like about this guidance is it's so much better than we expect to be between 13 cents and 15 cents a share, which is meaningless, which is meaningless. Instead, what they're giving you is the metric to watch and say, hey, you know, there is a macroeconomic factor here. It's something that like it's different to forecast that and then come back and say, hey, you know, that macroeconomic factor we told you about, here's what's happening there. 
that's way different than, it, and we've seen this a million times, right, Chris? Somebody comes out and says, yeah, you know what? The weather patterns last quarter, they just weren't favorable to our business. And so shoppers decided not to come to our store. Really? Is that really the reason? Because I think it may have more to do with your products and less to do with the rain. Well, and it goes back to something that we talk about all the time, which is when you're an investor and you're looking for guidance, it's not to say that there isn't value to be find, found or insights to be found from analyst notes that come out from Wall Street firms. It is to say, however, that you should pay more attention to what is the guidance that the company itself is setting up. Yes. And in the case of ASML, they're very clearly saying, look, this is what we're saying is going to move the needle for us. Right, right. And, and I think that's fair to say. I think there are a lot of companies, honestly, that are looking for the same thing. They're just not saying it yet. But irrespective of that, right now, ASML has a very healthy business. They're absolutely killing it. And their product is very necessary for making the most advanced chips. And there's going to be a lot more demand for, for this product. So um, it's a better business if U.S.-China relations thaw a little bit, but it's still a great business even if they don't. Tim Byers, always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.